This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. This morning, I am going to really go quickly and give you uh, more of a bird's eye view, maybe like Josh says, the 30,000 foot view of um, of worship and the Bible. And I am, nothing that I'm going to say is original to me, one, because it's scripture, and two, because I'm using this book here, the book is called Holy Roar, if you can't see it. On the table in the back, we have other copies of these that are $5, and it's not a commercial for you to buy them, just that's what we paid for them, so that you get them for the same cost. But this book changed my life about worship. And I read it uh, probably four years ago now, uh, four, maybe, maybe around four years ago. And what it did for me in seeing what, what God intends for his people to do in worship and how we're to worship. Um, I have always been under the impression, one, that worship was a very private thing that you did in your closet at home with your prayer life. That you go into your closet, you pray, and you worship. But then in public, we're reserved and we, will, we're, we sing together, but that's the extent of our praise. Maybe we might, might say something to one another about something God has done for us. Um, but then when I, when I got into the Bible and was introduced to this book, my, my whole perspective changed. And really, I believe I got more of what... Um, hundreds of years ago what Christians did in worship and how they worshiped together. And I believe that, I believe that several hundred years ago the, the um, styles of worship changed to a point that made it very, um, uh, very conservative and tried to make sure that as new, new religion came in and, and wildfire and things like that, Christians who believed the Bible began to to kind of distance themselves from people who maybe they were worshiping loud, but they didn't believe Scripture. And so we distanced ourselves far from them. And I believe now that the church is seeing a revival of worship and getting us back to biblical worship, where, where it's not necessarily a style that we're looking at, but it is a it is the Bible, and we want to be biblical Christians, and so that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to start off, um, just to get, give you an introdu- introduction into the message. This message, I've just called it, How God Expects, Expects Us to Praise Him. These are the seven words of praise in the Hebrew language that we're going to look at, and I want to, before we get into the each word, I want to take just a few minutes. I know that if I take just a few minutes at the beginning and the end for intro and conclusion. I've had about three minutes on each one of these words to get us through it so we stay on track. So I'm going to stay with that, and you stay with me through the intro, and then we'll get into those words. Uh, back in the 90s, a man named Gary Chapman wrote a book about the five love languages. How many of you have read that book or know of that book? How many of you know what your love language is? Or maybe you have one, a dominant and a second, okay? My wife and I took those tests and figured those out. And so um, back when we, we took them, my wife's was quality time. That was her uh, main one. And mine was 
I always feel like it's the like the most carnal of them was gift giving. Like I I feel loved when somebody gives me something, and I feel loved when I I feel like I'm giving love when I give something away. But I don't feel that strong love whenever I'm sitting in conversation. Right? And my wife doesn't feel that much love whenever I give her a gift. So we were speaking Chinese and Russian to each other and, and could not figure out how, how to relay our love to each other. And there was an expectation that my wife had in, in she had to learn my languages so that she could show me how I understood love. And I, too, had to do the same for her. This is not a marriage class, all right? I'm just giving you an illustration. But, but the truth of this is that this give and take in, in the relationship, God is saying, I have an expectation for you. My expectation in your worship and your praise, your adoration of me, is this expectation. And these seven words that we're going to look at from, really, all of them are mentioned in the Psalms, but several of them are mentioned throughout Scripture. There's a couple of them that are mentioned in Hebrew, and then they are translated into Greek for the New Testament and used also there with the same meaning. So all of this, this message is going to be more of a culture-building message, and it's also a more of a teaching message. So I want you to stay with me. I know it's warm in this room, all right? So stay with me. We'll get through each one of these words. And I promise you, on the other side of this, we won't take as much time as we did in our, our Connect group when we went through all of these, obviously, each one individually. But I'm going to go through all seven of them and just hit them kind of very carefully, but make sure that you have an idea of where they're mentioned in Scripture, what they mean, and then practically, how are we going to use them? How are you and I going to use them? I will cover all seven of them and, and maybe just to give you kind of a blanket over all of them that God is not so interested. Each one of us have our own personalities. Each one of us have our own giftings. Each one of us have been given what, what God has given to you. He expects you to use in the church, his giftings. He expects you to use for, for building his kingdom. And so I, I believe that. I believe all of us have our own individualities. But may I say to you that the Scripture is clear that when God is teaching His people to praise Him, He's not doing it based on their preferences or their personalities or even their giftings. He is, he is saying this is the expectation of praise. This is my expectation for my people. And so we'll get into these and kind of go through each one to help us kind of understand what does God expect from us in worship. The first word I'm going to talk about is the word yada. The word yada. Psalm 119, 164, I'll back up and say this, that David wrote and said, seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Now just Coincidentally, there are seven different words for praise that are mentioned throughout the Old Testament. And I don't believe that he's saying I used each one of them every day. But, but to launch us into this, David says, I'm going to praise you seven times a day. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. That promise of that commitment to praise is not us just going to God and say, God, 
thank you for the food. I think that's one kind of praise. I think thanksgiving is a kind of praise. I think the word praise many times is just a fancy word for thanks. We give praise to God because of all he's done. But may I say also that there's this expectation from God that we praise him even if he does nothing for us, right? God doesn't have to do another thing for us to be able to expect our praise. If he never did one more thing, he would still be worthy of honor and glory. If God never did another thing for anybody else, the angels would still be around the throne and every day, morning and night, constantly would say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. If he never lifted another finger, if he never healed another person, if he never answered another prayer, he would still be worthy of worship, worthy of praise. Seven times a day I praise you, David made the commitment in Psalm 119. The word yada, would you say that word yada? Yada. The word yada, you see up there the Hebrew lettering, but the word yada is this meaning. To revere or worship with extended hands, to hold out the hands, to throw a stone or arrow. This word is found in Psalm 67, 3. The Bible says, let the peoples yada you. Let all the peoples yada you. Not let those who have the most courage or let those that are the strongest, or let those who are leaders. But he says, here, David is writing in the Psalms, and and he's instructed that all the people in this song that, that Israel would sing together in the congregation of the righteous, when they would meet together and they would sing, we'll talk a little bit later about this book that they would sing from called the Tehillim. This book that they would sing from, the collection of their songs that had been written, they put them all together and they would open up and they would say, turn to Psalm number 67. The instruction from that psalm was to, to let everybody yada, everybody here yada. The word yada means to extend the hand, but more than just extending or raising the hand and giving a, uh, uh, saying, I identify with worship here and I am letting go and I'm giving to God and I'm in surrender. And it's not just that. This, is, this word, yada, means that I'm throwing up the hand. It's like the fist pump. It's like I'm excited. Remember Arsenio Hall, you know, like this, that's, that's, the, that's the idea. Some of you that were like way over your head, right? But, but, th- but that was the, that's the excitement of Yada. Yada is not just a, I'm lifting hands and surrender, although I believe it has that connotation with it. But here we're seeing in reverence and in worship with extended hands to hold out the hands in, in worship to God, this, this awaiting his presence, this longing from our heart for him, but it is also the idea of throwing up the hand. It, there's, there's not another symbol that we find, especially, you know, college football started yesterday, right? So it was exciting. Anybody else excited about college football? All right. 
all three of us, we love college football. <laughs> so, but, but the, this, this idea, when, when, a, when a goal is made, a touchdown or a, a, in basketball when the game is finished and, and they win, what happens? The arms go up. It is the natural response to the excitement inside of us. And that's what God's saying. That expression is for me. I put that in you. I put that inside of you that you would give that expression to me. He is worthy of yada. When we meet together in our time of worship as a church family, we ought to meet together with the anticipation that we will give him this gift, the sacrifice of our praise, we will give it to him. You know what a sacrifice of praise is? When they brought their, their, the, the lamb into the, the tabernacle, they would come into that, that tent in the center of all the camps around them. They would bring that lamb in, and that lamb would come first to this brazen altar. The brazen altar, at the brazen altar, the priest would take a knife and slit the throat of that innocent, spotless lamb, and they would put a bowl under its neck and let that blood drain the bowl, and they would carry that bowl away to be used later on, and that lamb would lay there after it's been, all, this, all this taken place, butchered up, just as Jesus was on the cross, butchered up to be a sacrifice on this, braze, this brass altar where fire, hot coals, and that, that wool would smoke up, and the stench and smell of that awful, awful sacrifice, the smell of all that was there would rise up into the sky. A sacrifice is not something that's, that's easy. It's not something that's simple. But it is a sacrifice. And when we bring our praise, it is the sacrifice of praise. It may not be easy. But it is our sacrifice of praise that we give to God. The word yada. It's mentioned in the Bible 111 times, most of those in the Psalms, how we are to lift our hands in praise. We are to lift our hands when we worship God. Secondly, halal. Say the word halal. Halal is similar to the word hallelujah, right? The word halal means to boast, to rave, to shine, to be clamorously foolish. To be clamorously foolish. Remember that we found that, that David was seen dancing before the Lord? I don't know exactly what that looked like. You want me to demonstrate what I think? No. Okay, I, <laughs> thank you, Reed. Thank you. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a dancer. I have no rhythm. It's hard enough for me to clap and sing when I'm up here. So, but, but this, this, uh, this idea of halal is to be clamorously foolish there's this, um, I always think about the woman that had the issue of blood that kind of, I think she crawled under all the men's gowns and, and feet to get back, get to where Jesus was so she could reach out and touch the hem of his garment. I think maybe she reached down to the lowest part that she could get to without being noticed so she could be healed. And I think that is just, in my mind, symbolic of, of clamoring. It is, it is trying to get as close as possible and doing something very crazy and absurd to, to get there. Clamoring. My, my kids sometimes clamor for my attention. This is the, 
to be clamorously foolish. It is the excitement before the Lord that, that puts a little bit of a, maybe a, more of a bounce in our step. It is the dancing before the Lord. It's the excitement that I imagine that when I watch and see demonstrations of the, of the Jewish people, how they dance before the Lord. And how they lift their hands and they're dancing around before the Lord. And we think, that's awful strange. And God looks at that and sees when our heart is open to him and we're willing to do the expression of what's inside of us. When we put God in his proper place, when that perspective is there. I should have given a a warning at the beginning of this message that Every time I, I get into talking about the, the worship of God and praise of God, it's such a passion for me personally that it always, it always gets to this point where, where it closed my throat and my eyes begin to leak a little bit. So you'll, you'll just forgive me and, and get the truth. But halal is to rave, to shine, it's to boast. And this is not that boasting that Paul was warning the people against, saying that we're not going to boast of ourselves, that Josh talked about last week, that we would boast if it was about us. But it is all him. It is all of Christ. The the church exists that we might bring glory to Christ, to, to Jesus, the Son of God, and that we might get the gospel to the lost. This word halal is to be clamorously foolish. Psalm 149 verse 3 says, Let them praise him with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. Let them halal him. He says, I want you to praise me with the dance. I want you to praise me with movement. I don't want you to be still and lifeless and listless as you worship me. When something as good and as, as blessed as God is, as high and exalted as he is, someone like God who is as big as he is, he deserves the highest praise. He deserves the highest praise. He deserves a sacrifice of praise. He deserves for me to walk into that place and to lay myself on that altar and say, I'm all yours. What? What can I give you? How can I show you with my life that I love you? I can be clamorously foolish. The dancing before the Lord that David did, we, we for, for whatever reason, we in our church cultures over the last couple hundred years have wandered so far away from biblical, true Bible praise of God. We've taken every, all those things out so that we, it could be more maybe conservative, maybe restrained. Maybe, we, maybe we've started to believe that, that, that be, God is a holy God and that holiness meant reservation. But I, I don't believe that's the way that, that the, God commanded his people to worship him, to praise him. The Hebrew is the primary, the, in, in Hebrew, this word halal is the primary word for praise. You get that? In, in the Hebrew tongue, to the Hebrew people, the word halal was the primary word that they used for praise. 
It wasn't singing. It was this dancing. It was this foolishness, being clamorously foolish. It is the word from which we derive the word hallelujah. It's an exuberant expression of celebration. You, you, we celebrate, I think about Miss Debbie, she celebrates everything. I think she'll be, be celebrating something every time we come over for the, for the Connect group. There's always something that's being celebrated. Somebody clipped their toenails. We're having a celebration, you know, whatever this, whatever it is. But, but this is, this is the, the halal. This, this was the common, everyday way to praise. Halal. It also serves as the capstone for the entire book of Psalms. The very last verse in Psalms, you can look it up yourself. Psalm 150 verse 6 says, Let everything that hath breath halal the Lord. Halal ye the Lord. What does that mean? It means to dance around clamorously foolish before him. Let everything that has breath do that. Next, number three, zamar. Zamar is one of, out of seven words, okay, out of seven words in Hebrew for praise, there's only two of them that deal with music. Only two. We've gotten to, into the habit of thinking that we go to a worship service, and so the only time that we really worship is when we're singing. And while I agree that we should have a worship service and we should praise together as God's people, that praise is not just music. Only two of those seven words. So there's more that are not pertaining to music than there are that, that are musical. Zamar is to make music, to celebrate this in song and music, to touch the strings or parts of a musical instrument. Last time I preached, I talked about that we speak to each other in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. The word psalms is actually uh, music that is played with stringed instruments. So there weren't other instruments being played most of the time when a psalm was being sung, it was this that was played with strings. And so that's one of the reasons why it was called that. And so we have this idea of the, the zamar, that it is to be singing, it is making music, and particularly with strings. Psalm 144 verse 9 says, I will sing a new song to you. O God, on a harp of ten strings, I will sing zamar to you. I will zamar to you. One of the two Hebrew words here that talks about music, zamar, is talking about playing music and using our voices to sing music. So all of us as Christians, are there's an expectation of God that we are to not only play instruments in our music, so I think that churches should have music instruments that are played. And then I also think that Christians, every Christian that comes into this building Christian, when you come in here, it's not for you to just enjoy and bask in the music you hear around you. I like doing that, but I do that in my car many times, listening to music. But when we come in here together, every Christian ought to lift his or her voice to God and give the sacrifice of communicating musical zamar to God. It's mentioned 41 times in the Bible. I'll mention that. Tauda, the word tauda. Tauda is an expression of the hand. Tauda is thanksgiving. It's a confession. It's a sacrifice of praise. It's thanksgiving. And here's what I want us to capitalize on. 
Tauda is thanksgiving for things not yet received. It's also used for a choir of worshipers. The, the one that I, I think I, I saw and kind of hit me the hardest was the, the one that talks about praising God for things that haven't happened yet. I think that makes the most impression on me. Psalm 56 verse 11 says, In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. I will render praises to you. Now, I read that verse, and I thought, that doesn't really say anything about future praising. How does that even apply? How does that word Taldah talk about praising God for something that hasn't happened yet? If you have your Bibles open, you don't have to turn there now, but Psalm 56, verse 11 and 12, those verses, if you go to the, the very beginning of that passage, as most of the Psalms do, there's a little bit of a behind the scenes that you find out. This was the Psalm of David while he was a captive, while he was a prisoner to Gath, the enemy. He had been captured and did not know his fate. He doesn't say... God, will you please get me released? God, rescue me and get me out of here. I heard David in other psalms, as he, as he writes the other psalms, say, God, rescue me. But he doesn't hear. The word taldah doesn't talk about a prayer to receive something from God. David had already claimed the fact that God would provide and God would take care of it. And so David said, God, I give you, I render praise to you for what you will do, what you are going to do. I know I'm in your hands, God. I have great confidence in your ability to take care of me. So as I am in your hands, I will praise you. If he... If he knows the sparrow when it falls and he closed the fields and he would number every hair on her head. Nobody nobody loves me like that. And he loves you that way. So, so we, we can be clamorously foolish. We can lift our voices in praise. We can raise our hands and lift a hallelujah to God. This is, this is the God we serve. David said, I know, I know that you have this God. I'm in your hands, and I'm going to praise you for things I haven't seen yet. I'm going to praise you for what's going to happen in the future. What you will do, I'm going to praise you. God, I don't know how you're going to, to, to take care. I don't know if you'll heal my sick relative or they'll pass on to glory. But God, I praise you for what you will do. As God told Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, to prosper you. 
the, the steps that Solomon talked about, that they're ordered by the Lord. That God puts the steps in order. We just have to walk in those steps. Delight in his way. So I can praise him for things I haven't seen just yet. David said, I've been old. I've been young and now I'm old. And yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. So I'll trust him. I'll trust him. I know you'll follow me. You're my lighthouse. And you're going to carry me through the storm. Tauda. Barak. The word Barak is to kneel. To bless God. As an act of adoration. To praise. To salute. To thank. The word Barak in Psalm 72 verse 11 says, Yes, All kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Verse 15, and he shall live, and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. And what does this have to do with the word barak, to kneel in adoration? As this psalm is written, David, being a a king understanding, this understanding of kings, that kings, that, that very wealthy kings would kneel before this one king of kings. This idea of kneeling wasn't for them to come before God and to, to bow their heads and get on their knees and, and, and give honor to the king. This, the word barak means to be transfixed. We're transfixed from eye to eye. So it can't mean that I'm bowing with my head low. It means that I, in reverence before God, am gazing on Him in adoration, eyes fixed on the King. What are your eyes fixed on? Christian, are you able to, in the congregation of the righteous, or before your family, or if not in private place in your home, are you able to get on your knees and be totally transfixed on the king? Has there ever been a time when when you went to your knees in adoration of God? Have you ever seen God high and lifted up? Have you ever put him in his proper place? I think a lot of times in our American culture, we've made Jesus just another American looks just like us and acts like us and he needs to be in his rightful place, high and exalted and praised. Our eyes transfixed on him. Barak is the posture of praise. It is this posture of being totally 
enamored, in love. He's our gaze. He's the sparkle in our eye. He is what we see. He's the love of our life. The one that we cherish. He's the bright and morning star. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the the water of life. Can you can you see him and be transfixed? Gazing on him. Wouldn't it be wonderful to one day be in heaven and be able to physically physically see him? I think that's why Paul said, for me, I'd much rather be in heaven. But for you, you need me here to teach you. I think his gaze was, was heavenward. I think he wanted to see Jesus Christ, the one he served. This is only achieved when we are humbled to our knees, but keeping our eyes fixed on the king. I often wonder what church would be like each week if this was the way that we came before our great God. Would we ever have a complaint? Would we ever hold back the praise? Would we ever hold back our worship that he demands and expects from us if we saw him in this way? The next one is Tehillah. The word Tehillah means laudation. It's a hymn, a song of praise, a new song, a spontaneous song. Psalm 22.3 says this, But you are wholly enthroned in the Tehillah of Israel. The word Tahilah, talking about the laudation, that, that this, this praising of him, this hymn, this song, the second one of the words that talks about music, is actually comes from a derivative of the Tahilam. This Tahilam is the book that contained all of the songs that had been sung. But whenever the Bible talks about he has put a new song in my heart or a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Do you know that, that that new song is not just talking about where God has come into your life and changed your life around. You have a new life before Christ. Certainly, we have a new life with God. When we trusted Jesus as our Savior, He changed things around. We, we became new creatures. But quite literally, the new song they put into your mouth is this Tehillah. This is the song that is a spontaneous song that comes into your heart and mind that has never been sung before. It is literally a new song. He's put a new song in your heart. You know what? That new song doesn't have to rhyme. It doesn't have to stay with particular meter. And it doesn't have to be something that anyone's ever heard before or it has to be sung in church. But it is a new song. It is a song that he put in your heart. 
I, I, I think about it, you know, it's like when we, we make up those, a silly song every 1st and 15th. It's payday, it's payday, it's payday, it's payday, right? It's the same word. Here I am, clamorously foolish, singing a spontaneous song. Halal and tahilah. But, but it is this new song. It, can I just be, be very frank with you? It is joy in your heart that spills over because of this, the greatness of our God, how good he is to us. It spills over. It's not reserved. It's not kept inside. It's not just for me. It's not something that's just going to explode and well up inside. It is this well that overflows. It comes out as joy. It spills over on other people. You ever been around somebody who's so full that it spills over on you? The joy of the Lord is my strength. It gives me laughter. It, it, th- that, that joy of the Lord being inside of us, that overflowing of that joy is expressed in this word, this spontaneous song of praise to God. This word is used 57 times throughout Scripture. 57 times a spontaneous song is talked about, how we're to give our praise back to God in a spontaneous way. Just out of the blue, unannounced, we begin to praise God with a song that maybe, maybe it's a song that was familiar and it wasn't on the list of songs I gave to Justin to put into the screen for you and we just started singing a different song that wasn't on the list. We're, we are led by the Spirit and we give praise back to Him and the Spirit leads us to praise our God. Lastly, the word Shabbat. You say the word Shabbat? Shabbat. The word Shabbat means to address in a loud tone, to shout, to commend glory and triumph. We commend, we give glory, and we are triumphant in our praise. The, the, you know, while I wouldn't criticize necessarily the sevenfold amen, I would say that there's so much more to praise, so much more to worship than this, you know, kind of liturgical style that God is saying that I want your praise to me. I want it to be loud. In my wrestling, in my doubt, we start trailing, looking around. You know why? That's our humanity. But the sacrifice of praise is loud. The sacrifice of praise is the Shabbat. It is, it is where the book gets its title. It is the holy roar. When God's people came together in the thousands to praise him, it wasn't a soft sound. It was, it was everybody singing the loud voice of God's people. And can I say this morning, we were singing My Lighthouse. It, for me, I was so blessed and encouraged. I could hear you all louder than us up here. That's the way it's supposed to be. We aren't giving a concert. Lord have mercy, it's not a concert. I make more mistakes 
standing up here trying to lead, then the rest of the band combined, <clears throat> it's not about, it's not a concert. We are just making sure that you are given songs that we all can sing together for one, for one audience, an audience of one person. And it should be loud. It should be from our toes, lifting up praise to God. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of you stepping outside of your preferences? Is he worthy of your obedience to these seven words of praise? Does he even deserve it? Does he deserve it? The, the question really then begs to be asked, do I long, do I long to give it? Do I long to give it? What is the longing of your heart? I think David said, I was made to praise the Lord. It's the longing of my heart to bring him glory, to commend, to glorify, to exalt the Shabbat of praise. Here's what it means. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. It's used 11 times in the Bible, and though, though just a few times, just those 11 times, the least used word of praise, this connotation of Shabbat is the shout of praise, this holy roar of God's people declaring their faith for the next generation. I, I'll put it just kind of very base level Selfishly for me. Express your faith for my kids so that they will see it was real to you. So that my kids will see that it was real to me and their mom. And we'll take our praise and our adoration of God and we'll pass it to the next generation. That is literally where the, the word is used every time the word Shabbat is used. It is talking about passing from one generation to the next. The worship and praise of God. And it was loud. You know why? Because it was making an impact on that next generation. To let them know this is where we stand. It is the declaration of our lives that we worship God. Because that is why I was made. We'll close. It's not being loud for the sake of pumping up a crowd. It is for the purpose of passing on the faith from one generation to the next. I believe in purpose. I believe in having a purpose for what we do. I don't want to just sing three songs because that's what we do here at Keystone. We see three, sing three songs. I want it to be purpose. 
I don't want a song to be loud because we just need a song to be loud. Or a song at the beginning needs to be fast because it just there needs to be energy. There should be a purpose and a reason why. We come together, church, it should not matter what mood the worship leader's in. It should not matter how much you like that particular song. If you know the song, what really matters is, do I long to give my praise to God and the time that we spend together in here in the congregation? It's, it's seven days. It's your whole life. Everything you do is built around these seven days in praise as one of God's people. But in here, we get to do it together. Unabashedly. Unashamedly. I, I, could, I could probably go with you when you get embarrassed to be singing out in the car or lifting your hands at work. I can, I can go with you. When I'm out in the world and I can get a little, I almost feel ashamed or embarrassed to express my worship. But, but church, this is home. Take your shoes off and let your hair down and worship God with the people next to you. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.